Welcome to the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast, the show that brings you lively conversations with leaders, colleagues, and friends in healthcare, pharmacy, and beyond. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast. I'm Melissa Muir Corrigan, and I'll be your host. This is episode 32 of the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast, and thanks for listening. Well, I want to thank our Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast community for your engagement, and I'm so excited that we're seeing signs of spring as things are blooming. I'm also grateful for the pharmacists, student pharmacists, and pharmacy technicians caring for patients during the pandemic and fighting for our patients on vaccine distribution and administration. Thank you. Well, now on today's podcast, I'll be talking with Dr. Vibuti Aru, Vibuti, known as V, and I are going to be discussing many things, including her 15 plus years experience working to bridge the gap between healthcare, well being, and equity. These are such important topics in our world today. She is a clinical professor working at St. John's University College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences and clinical advisor to the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene. In her role, she works to integrate pharmacists into public health initiatives, particularly among high-risk, medically underserved populations in New York City, and also advises on legislation. She has served as a leader with the American Pharmacists Association, APHA, as a former APHA ASP National Student President, and currently helps lead the APHA APPM Public Health SIG. She's a racial dialogue expert and recently gave a TEDx talk on structural racism. I just can't wait to learn more. Well, V, thank you so much for being here with me today. And as we get started, maybe you can talk a little bit about your background, where you grew up, about your family and your pharmacy experience at St. John's University. Sure, thank you so much for having me. So I am a proud first-generation immigrant and uh, my family and I immigrated from India and we actually grew up, I grew up in Washington Heights, New York, which if folks are familiar with In the Heights, the musical, um, that's reference. Um, So thanks Lin-Manuel Miranda for uh, bringing Washington Heights to a, a little bit of a positive light in the media, but that's where I grew up and I went to school at St. John's University. I actually was introduced, I would say, to the world of sort of social justice and the performing arts of so theater and improv prior to delving deeper into pharmacy. So I feel like I carry that with me wherever I go and finished my PharmD and was active as a student leader throughout, both within and outside of pharmacy. And then I completed a pharmaceutical care leadership residency at the University of Minnesota College of Pharmacy, and I served in a federally qualified health center over in Minneapolis and just sort of took some time. I also became a yoga teacher. And so a lot of my life intersects with being a spiritual person, but also just very I would say intentional about doing work that really fulfills my spirit and ensuring that principles and frameworks of social justice lie at the core of everything that I engage with. Well, it's interesting. I'm so happy 
that we were able to connect today and on the Melissa Rx Groups podcast, several people have mentioned you on earlier episodes and they were like, you need to connect with V, you know, she, she has so much related to some of the things that you've been talking about. So I'm just really grateful, you know, that this worked out and Lakeisha Butler was one who mentioned it, Nancy Alvarez. And then I, when I was on a, I'm on a planning committee with Susan Voss and she mentioned that you two have known each other forever. So, you know, I think what's so cool is there are so many connections and things, how people come together. And I appreciated your reference to In the Heights because I do think Lin-Manuel and Hamilton has kind of just raised that awareness to it and I, I think there's a movie in the works with that if I'm, yep. if I'm not yeah okay I thought That's so because right. yeah yeah so I think more and more people will be exposed to it but that that's such a cool story that must have been a big change though you going from uh, the east coast from the New York City area to to the Twin Cities to Minneapolis and St. Paul what was that like for you yeah, it was a it was a culture shift, I will say. I think yeah. that in in a, in many many ways, um, I think that there was certainly the way that I approached it, and so I should say that humor and um, bringing life <laughs> to conversations is sort of my coping mechanism and survival skill, and I definitely felt okay. This is just going to be another sort of audience I get to have in my repertoire, if you will, um, you know, just learning and engaging in different ways. And I think just understanding language references and energy and just being direct, you know, particularly coming from New York and how that's perceived and how do you intermingle with all of this stuff. I was very, very fortunate to be in a program where the clinic that I was in was primarily ethnic and a sort of immigrants and refugees and ethnic minorities. They were about 75%, 74% of the clinic was folks of color. And it was just rich because both coming from a first gen immigrant experience and, you know, stepping into this clinic, serving the patients and just sort of getting to know their narratives and their stories. And I was very interested. And I think that my patients and I, you know, they were just like, who is this woman trying to understand everything about my life? And it was just beautiful because while we had eight languages actually offered interpretation uh, services offered for eight languages on staff, which is quite the anomaly. Um, it was just a really tight knit community. And, you know, it was just fun. I remember for sort of staff wellness, I would teach salsa during our lunch breaks and uh, just, just kind of got a, I don't know, maybe I brought some of the the Heights party atmosphere. I would say the streets are living with music. And so it was just kind of nice to create a community in a place that was so culturally different, perhaps on the surface maybe, but I guess I found it. I found the groove that I was looking for. So it was really nourishing and, and just really deep and rich. I love that. And I think, you know, you reminded us that sometimes we need to we do need to look a little deeper, you know, that what might be on the surface or what our first impression could be, but that in the differences, there's the beauty. So I appreciate that you shared that. And also I lived on the East Coast for many years and then moved back to the Midwest. And so that directness that you're talking about, I am, I did experience that myself, like uh, whether it be in driving, like driving was very different, you know, from a aggressive to, de to defensive thing. Like you don't need to honk your horn when someone doesn't move fast enough. Cause I was used to that from the DC area. Oh, that was so funny, Melissa. You know, I was driving one day and, you know, I had my turn signal on and the person was just like stopped 
And I thought, well, sure, they're not, I don't know what they're doing, but they were just kind of like, go ahead. And I was like, oh, oh, that's a thing. Thank you. you yeah, know? like, and they <laughs> wave you. Yes, yes. I, I um, yes. Early on, I was stopped at a stop sign and the person I felt didn't turn quick enough or uh, maybe it was a red light. And I went to honk because, you know, again, that's how kind of how we had done it for years on the East Coast. And then I realized that could be a coworker or, you know, or my neighbor or whatever. Right. So I, I did not, but um, yes, it's the, those little gestures can be funny. Well, you know, we talked a little bit about some of the work that you've done over the years and, you know, you've worked a lot of time to bridge the gap between healthcare while being in equity and, you know, that work is hard. So what are some of the things that you do to fulfill your spirit? I think you've touched on that a little bit, but I'd love to learn more. Yeah. I, you know, I have a sort of a, personal vow to myself about making sure that I'm always in touch with reflection and in touch with my spirit in terms of doing the work that really helps to fill my cup, so to speak, in terms of the sort of the spiritual aspect. It's really important for me to be in touch with my right brain. (laughs) That's what I like to say. And I think that where this work sort of fits in is I think certainly as a person experiencing um, life with a very different lens than the predominant narratives and perspectives that were around me, particularly I would say in pharmacy and in the professional world, while others may sometimes look in and, you know, I served as ASP president and I was on the board and all of these things. I think that it's easy for folks to just sort of, again, as we're mentioning, kind of look at things at the surface and say, oh, she's so comfortable, so comfortable there. She's, you know, I get this. V, you're just very unapologetically who you are. And not a lot of times what people see is the, the turmoil, so to speak, that goes behind that and the Um, a lot of the processing and reflection that goes on. And so it's really important for me to keep that alive in myself, not only to just check myself from where I'm coming from, but also to ground myself and my family and the community that I have around me does a fantastic job supporting, celebrating, but also just keeping me grounded and reminding me that you know, we, we, we work for a cause, not a company, right? And it's important to remember that, that all of these incremental changes that we are part of and driving and amplify certainly add up to a larger progressive change that perhaps some of us may not be able to see necessarily, but we do get to experience that from the community that we create around us. So, so, right. So it's not just the progress, for example, in policy, you know, that we're going to see right away, maybe even in our lifetime, but it is really important to note that we are creating these networks and these connections that are going to ultimately feed our spirit and then consequently also add to that larger change. Yeah. I think that's so important because you touched on, several things. One is it's a long ball game, you know, and that um, I think sometimes, you know, people want a quick fix or they want to see it right away. And it's really the things that happen day to day that, you know, can move forward in the change and things like that. And I also appreciated your insights on who's around you and your community. And I think especially in the last year, 14, 15 months, you know, we've seen that magnified related to the world kind of being turned upside down, but also then saying, you know, keeping those connections, whatever they look like, and maybe some weren't face-to-face, but they, you know, you could have different connections virtually or, you know, all different ways and things like that. So, 
yeah, this idea of fueling your spirit throughout this is really important. And I, I love what you shared. That was really, really cool. Well, you know, one of the things that I've talked with people off about quite frequently on the podcast is, you know, during these turbulent times, looking to the past or history sometimes provides insights for hope in the present, and we can learn from that and the future. So is there a historical figure for you, either in pharmacy or public health, that's made a difference in your life? Yeah, so I, I actually always used to, you know, we used to get these questions, like if you had to have lunch or dinner with somebody from the past, yeah. you know, who would it be? And I remember feeling like, I don't think I would have like one person. I would love to have a dinner party and just yes. host a bunch of these people and just sort of throw them in the room and just see what happens. So I, I do, I think that particularly recently, because I have a six-year-old and an almost four-year-old, two girls, and we've been talking a lot about just women in leadership and sort of how much do you fight, but also have compassion. And like, when do you, you know, when do you turn that dial down? When do you turn it up, et cetera? I always thought it would be fun to have folks from history who, because of my right brain, both represent a lot of music, you know, and sort of creatively thinking through challenges, you know, like Billie Holiday and just sort of thinking about how you move through spaces while keeping your spirit alive. That's something of a lot of interest to me. And also three women in particular, I think um, if you've seen the movie Hidden Figures, it's a story. Yeah. And so Katherine Johnson, Dorothy Vaughn and Mary Jackson were the ones who were portrayed in that film. And the particular one that Octavia Spencer plays, Dorothy Vaughn, I think I would like to just sort of hang out a little bit and see, because she does everything with such smiles and compassion. And while I am a fighter, I would say I have three W's that I sort of, you know, experience a lot. One is a warrior, one is a worrier, and then a withdrawer. And sometimes I experience all three in the same day. And sometimes I go months in one space and move to the next and it's fluid. But one of the things that I'm always very sort of taken by are folks who can be the warrior, but a little bit also silently in a way that um, requires just a lot of patience, which I see that character sort of doing a lot and particularly portrayed in that movie. And I'd also like to hang out with my mom while she was in college. I just want to see like her young day. My mom's a fighter and she's, she's a wonderful sort of feisty woman who I just have a lot of respect for and what she's sort of gone through in life. And I would just love to see her college days and just hang out. That is so neat. I love, you know, that you thought of those three women from Hidden Figures. And I think what was neat about that movie is it highlighted stories that maybe we hadn't heard before and what they did and their significant accomplishments, but also what they went through to get there. And, you know, you've mentioned the right brain and music. And I've, in the last couple of weeks, have watched a couple documentaries. I watched Aretha Franklin's Genius. Have you seen mm -hmm. that one yet? Mm -hmm. I have not. It's on my list. I have to tell you, I've, I've always enjoyed her music and loved her music and, um, you know, the whole her Detroit connection and everything. But when I think about what she went through and what she did over such a career, and, you know, I think it, it also makes sense more about her life. And I don't know. It was, so that was that was really fascinating for me. And I love, too, that, about your mom. And I think similar about my mom. And I had a very strong grandmother who I've talked a lot about mm. over the years, you know, whenever I've been recognized or received an award. I really dedicate it to her because my grandma believed in me, you know, so early on and was, um, her husband died when my mom and her sister were young. Um, and so she was, a, you know, she raised these two kids and in a very tough time and things like that, but always valued 
education and striving. And so, you know, I, I think these reflections, sometimes people are like, oh, it, would it be this, these big famous people? But I think the people that raise us and, you know, mm-hmm. share their life stories are just so foundational. And your comment about thinking back of when they were younger is so neat because sometimes you kind of picture them at a certain age or, you know, as they age and think back of just the dreams that they had and the adventures that they had, right, over the years. Yeah. And I think what's what struck me sort of, you know, when I speak with her, too, is just I know her spirit and I know what I remember when I was a little girl. But you tend to, you know, we romanticize our parents. We see them in a certain light. And, you know, that whole adage about when you become a parent, you start seeing them more as humans and right in a different empathetic light. I think what's so cool is that in her own ways, my mom has you know, challenged aspects of the patriarchy, particularly growing up in India. And I just want to be there to see it. And I think what you also mentioned about a grandmother, what I would also love to see is the interplay between my mother and my grandmother, right? Yeah. It's something I feel like I just want to be there and see what happens. How are they commenting with each other? Where is my mother pushing back? How does my grandmother sort of hold that container? And I've heard my dad say quite a bit that um, and my mom actually too, that I remind her of, of, of her own mom, because she was just sort of very strong spirited woman. So I, I'm very into lineage and sort of the particularly um, our matriarchal lineage as well. But I think the ancestry, and I used to say that I just want to be a good ancestor. I think I, it's really important for me to not only recognize and be and hold gratitude for those who have come before me and those whose shoulders I, so so to speak, stand on, but also what that means for taking that into the future and those who look to us for the future. And, you know, I kind of have morphed into this space of, I just, I want somebody in my own lifetime as I'm alive and well to come along and make my work look cute, you know, to to make it look so quaint and, you know, like, oh, you thought this was hard, like here. Here's all the yeah. progress we've made. And yeah. I'd yeah. love to sit back and just eat popcorn or to that. That would be great. <laughs> well, I think what you just described, there's no greater compliment. It's going to make me tear up. But to be, you know, described that you're similar to your grandmother, especially if your grandma, as she, as you've just said, was a force, you know? And I feel like when I've heard those kind of things, it's just remarkable. And especially if they've been, they were gone too soon, you know, and, and not able to yeah. see some of the things that you do now. So, well, you know, the things that we're talking about is change and transformation, and that requires awareness and then also talking about things. And these things can be difficult. And we know that there's been a lot of conversations in our country and around our world that are hard right now, hard conversations that need to be had. So let's talk a little bit about how you navigate that one. You know, one of the reasons why I was so excited to reconnect with you and talk with you is you not only talk about it, but you also take action. And, you know, I was so pleased when I interviewed Lakeisha last year, talking about the pharmacy organizations coming together on the statement related to systemic racism. And that was a big deal, you know, that they did it Mm -hmm. and they did it quickly. And then it was an even bigger deal just a few months later when this article came out. And, you know, what I heard from multiple people is, well, you know, V led the charge. She was right in there. She helped get us all on board and make this thing happen. So, Tell me a little bit about, you know, how that happened and how to like reimagine these concepts in pharmacy practice. What does that look like? 
So first of all, it's going to take quite a paradigm shift. I think that it's a total culture shift when it comes to the way that we look at things. And what I would like to sort of maybe point out and focus on there is a sort of emergence, as I see it, of how the binary sort of needs to shift to complexity, right? So we have a lot of folks who sort of are, and are pretty intent on, because that's just sort of how they've grown up, in thinking in the binary of either this or that. It's either your truth or my truth. Uh, you're either good or bad. You're right or wrong, right? Good versus evil. And what I'd like to offer is that we need to move into a space and into complexity, just holding that complexity. Your truth can exist. My truth can exist. His or her truth can exist. Their truth can exist. And all of this is a shared reality where all of these can exist together. So while your perspective may delineate things a certain way and or interpret what happened a certain way, perhaps somebody else's experience and perspective sheds a different light on it. And it's important that we discuss a little bit more deeply into what that complexity looks like and just really get comfortable with it. You know, it's not about being on the defensive and having debate. It's more about having a conversation. And that's where I came up with the sort of thing about the brave space. We say like we have a safe space to have conversation and I move into a brave space where it's, while it's important to have that container where people feel safe enough to say something, once you offer a thought or perspective that we should also be brave enough to understand that while that's there, it might be open to um, a different perspective and how somebody else may perceive of it or how it lands on them. And it's important for us to understand that because that's how we evolve. That's how we evolve with our language, the use of our words, the use of our tones, um, and really getting comfortable with inviting that conversation. So in the yoga world, we say, when you exhale, you basically set up so that the inhale is coming next, right? You exhale the breath out and it invites the next breath to come inside your body and that's the opportunity. So exhale, but invite the next breath in and that's really important to consider. I think that the article was so great because I, I did wanna bring together and I, I, I know that it hadn't been done before in terms of getting a bunch of journals to sort of you know come together and publish the same piece um, simultaneously. And while I did get some of these perspectives of, you know, I don't, you know, that's not been done, you know, don't hold your breath, you know, that kind of very yep. cautious, like, don't set yourself up for all this hope. Um, I have a, a wonderful mentor, Tina Brock, who I've known for years. And, you know, she, I remember was just like, hey, this is kind of like a dream, like, can to just pursue it, right? Like, what if you just got everybody together to do this? And we sort of talked through, okay, which journals should we invite? And, you know, there, there was maybe hesitation at first, again, because it's not been done before. How would we right. even do this? What's the copyright? What's the legality? There was a journal who was like, nope, no thanks. And then we just kind of moved on and invited, you know, a bunch of journals. We wanted it to make sure that it represented sort of the life cycle of pharmacy, if you will, going from education to, to practice and also clinical practice and, you know, research and workforce. And I mean, it was such a it seemed maybe now I'm not remembering it, right? It's like labor, you kind of forget the pains, but it was, yeah. a, it was a Herculean effort. However, it was so fulfilling and amazing to see folks sort of come together 
in such an intentional, and I, I don't think, I, I hope I didn't make them feel guilty about it, but I was like, you know, if there's any time in our history as a profession that we can come together and stand in solidarity, I think this topic has to be something here and that we need to care for. It's not just about our patients even at this time, right? It's about our colleagues, about our yeah. families. It's a community. And I think it's really important that we come together as a community. So I think that that's sort of the, the discomfort, a lot of discomfort lies in moving from that very binary thinking over to the, the holding complexity and being brave enough to say, I may say things that I'm not intending to be a certain way, but it may land or be interpreted a different way. And I'm okay. I have to be okay with that because I can't dismiss somebody else's sort of opinion and perspective on it that we need to have a conversation and just explore the possibilities rather than avoiding them. Yeah, there's so much richness there, you know, the complexity and um, being open and listening. And I also really like that you shared the pushback or the challenges because you know we have a lot of student pharmacists that listen to the podcast and also residents and people earlier in their career, really at any stage in your career, there's gonna be times where you're gonna be told no or that won't work or why, why would you wanna do that? And I think the example you just gave and kind of the steps show that there's value in doing it anyway or pushing through or trying. And you know I think Tina's saying to you like, the opportunity, the moment that you had. So thank you so much for sharing that and for your perseverance. And I, you know, as a practitioner, I was so pleased when it came out and that it was in multiple publications and just how quickly, because I also know, and, you know, I've commented this to some of my other guests, sometimes how difficult it can be to work through with multiple organizations because of the legalese and the structures and all of that. And so that you all were able to kind of pull the camera up and, and emphasize how important this issue was and is, but part of the urgency means you got to get it done. Like you can't get stuck into models that slow things down, right? Right. And there there were, you know, I think that some other journals were like, hey, we're going to do a special issue. Do you think this could sort of fall into that? And I'm like, yes, but we don't want to wait. And so yeah. could we urge you to sort of give up like half a page or one page for this thing? Yeah. And, and I think that it is important to recognize there were lots and lots and lots of emails yes, <laughs> you know? and just getting folks to put their name behind and just being like, look, we're just going to get this done. Let's go. Right. And there's, I think there's such power to the collective, right? And this is like something that I hold near and dear to my heart. Um, certainly the theme that's coming up here also is just sort of recognizing the people who have paved the path for you, but also you have to be explicit in that paving the path of, for others as well, right? Because it does serve all of us. It's yes. not just, you know, it's, it's not this kind of noble thing of, hey, we're going to do this because it's so nice to do. No, it actually serves us. I mean, it is, it makes and so it's really important to keep that at the forefront of how are we building? How are we building on this? One of the things that's really important to understand for me and my work is that I can connect the dots and I can sometimes correct people, but I have to be very careful because while I'm connecting the dots and offering what I'm observing, some people are not always ready to know their vulnerabilities and they may not be there yet. And so it's really important for me to listen and hold that brave space in a compassionate way so that I'm also monitoring and, and watching the dynamics of what's happening. And so it's really important to pay attention to that as a facilitator. And while it's important 
to hold that compassion. It's holding somebody's hand with support and bringing them to this conversation and helping them or serving their journey and how they're realizing their words or action may impact others. So it's really powerful and it can be very, very moving and transformational in this work. Yeah, I love that about, you know, the collective and then paving the path and paying it forward. Well, you know, when you think about that, connections and relationships, they're just so important to the work that you do. And, you know, so foundational. And I've heard a lot as I've talked with people as I was preparing for our, our interview today and our discussions, you know, how important your relationships and your friendships are in your life. And that, you know, many of these in healthcare and pharmacy you've had back to your student leadership days and, you know, they continue today. So tell me more about, you know, the people that you surround yourself with, why the collective is so important. And, you know, there's been a lot of loneliness this past year as people have been home or isolated. So like, how does this all work? Because there are opportunities to connect, even if we might feel like they're different or they're not out there right now. Absolutely. I I think relationships are everything. I put a lot of stock in relationships. There's a wonderful, a fantastic, and dare I say iconic uh, relationships or a, a therapist actually is a relationship counselor who says you're, the quality of your life is related to the quality of your relationships, essentially. And I think that's very true. I know for me in my life, you know, we, I come from a communal sense of thinking. I come from a communal collective. Like we are all, you know, families, extended family. I mean, you know, one person, we have a TV in our, in, in a neighborhood, all the kids go to that house yep. at five o'clock or whatever. And we watch TV or, you know, it's, everybody's fridge is accessible to everybody. I and mean, that's just kind of how I grew up. And I think that it is while there are communal countries and relationships and sort of the constructs that are so well preserving for any society and any community, I can see that it's also important to have, you know, some individualism, right? Which is why we all come to America. Like there's very central sort of core of individualistic thinking. But for, for me, there's like a little blend of two, right? And it's really important, I think, to think about a very intentional collective. So I see that as not only just the friendships, but also the mentorships. I, you know, I tell some of my mentors, like, you know, you can't get rid of me no matter what, right? Like at this point we're friends, but we're, it's just the deepening of relationships is so important. Um, the, the fact that we can continue to uplift each other and, you know, I think that for a lot of relationships and a lot of constructs, actually, that I sort of in my ninja ways fight, fight and sometimes more publicly, are these constructs that sort of lend you to believe that if you have something that means somebody else doesn't, right? And and that it's somehow a finite opportunity or a finite resource or you know, coming more of that like scarcity mindset of, I, well, I better take this. Otherwise I'm going to yeah. miss out on the opportunity in my lifetime. And academia is riddled with that thinking. And I think that what's important to also keep in mind, again, the both and situation is that actually it's not so finite and actually there's power together. And that it's not just to say that we're going to have like, you know, I think it's a very post-colonial sort of construct of like, I'm going to dangle a carrot and you fight amongst yourself, who gets to have that carrot? And so it doesn't really promote collaboration. Whereas I like to challenge that there's not just one carrot. I would like to challenge that there's something just bigger. And just because that is something that is publicized actually 
takes away from the collaboration. And so it's really important for me to ensure that we have a collective, not only to share perspectives and celebrate with each other, but frankly, also to hold each other accountable and push each other, challenge each other to be, um, to learn more, to do more, to be better. And I don't mean that in a cheeky way of, we're just gonna kind of do things on the surface, but really at the core, right? Reflect together, be vulnerable together, uplift each other and have this sort of thinking that says, we are not in it only for the good times. When the good times are good, everybody's fine. But it's also for the tough times. It's also for the times where you get told no. Like you mentioned, there are a lot of students who listen to this. And for me, I sort of challenge on this sort of authoritative mentorship model that says, you know, come to me and I will teach you things. And it's it's just listening. It's providing and amplifying voices. If you're a mentor and you, you know, mentor someone to have a dream, you have to very explicitly think through what you can actually do as a mentor to help them realize that dream, even though they may be dreaming or thinking of concepts in, in manners that are different from what, how you would do things. I found that to be sometimes challenging with leadership and leaders where, you know, it's, this is the way you do it to, to navigate the system, or this is the way you do it to get ahead in the system. And what I'd like to sort of offer is what are we all doing to help morph the system and to progress the system so it can actually accommodate for for others so in my work you know for diversity equity and inclusion work certainly really it's just systems of oppression right whatever system of oppression you're dealing with and something that folks sometimes say is well v we've got you know a diverse student body or now we have all these women in leadership and are we, are we good? You know, like, are, yeah. are we good? This is really great. And I say to them that, sure, while your student body might have changed, while your leadership might have changed, the procedures, policies, and the processes that you have in place are still the ones that were there from 20, 30, 40 years ago, if not longer. How are those, how is that system changing so that you're creating an environment, not only for folks to survive, but for them to thrive, for new yeah. ideas to actually come in, to pave way for innovation. That's not just do it in my framework. And I think I would just like to challenge that part of it is let's help people, not help, let's, let's serve people's dreams, but let's also figure out how we can each work within a system to create the environment that supports those dreams. Yeah. You know, whether it be talking about friendships, relationships, mentors, mentees, you know, there's been a reflection on some of these podcasts about how much we can learn from our mentees too, you know, that it's a two-way street. And I think that also helps for dreams, you know, dreams to be realized and to grow, but you're right about, you know, having just because someone's there, if they're not included, or, you know, I've, I've heard this described as being invited to the dance is one thing, but being asked to dance is another thing, you know, related to inclusion. So I think those are really important points from a systemic standpoint. You know, how does that make someone feel? And do you even know how they feel? Mm-hmm. Because the systems have been set up a certain way for so long. And, you know, I was just reflecting as you were talking too about the importance of letting people know how, what they've done, like what it means for you and how that's helped you and stuff like that. And, you know, I've, it's one thing that I have been able to do on the podcast and reaching back or paying it forward. And because I think sometimes people don't know 
like I had someone who I had been, who I had mentored, she talked about how influential it was, not like these big things that we talked about, but just observing like day to day and, you know, how I would take a media call or, you know, just a presentation or navigate whatever. And that she reflects on that a lot. And that meant so much to me. And it's interesting that I think sometimes it's just taking the time to let someone know. And I've tried to do that, especially in the last, you know, a few weeks or so, Dr. Otis from CEO of ASHP for 37 years passed away. And I reached out to several people that I knew he was important to, and he had been important in my career. And we reflected a little bit and, you know, it's, it doesn't take that long to do that, but then you're, you're so grateful that you did a pause because you know how much it meant to you. And, you know, then it clearly meant, means to them moving forward. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think also one of the things that's important to highlight there as well, uh, whether you're a mentor, mentee, however you see that relationship, is just letting people also know when the good things are good and how much you appreciate them. Yes. I love sending texts throughout the week, just randomly to people, you know, some people that I speak with more regularly than others, and just to let them know that you're thinking about them. I've also noticed certainly women, I would say, particularly are just, it's so great. We, we sort of create, and this has sort of been studied as well. We create environments around us that are, you know, more homey, right? Where we're yeah. all about connection and community. And so it's really important for me also just to let people know that I'm thinking about them, just to send them a little bit of a funny thing or a quote or just something. Little things go a long way. And I know that certainly I've had wonderful relationships with my former students. And one of the things that has happened over the course of the past few years is some of them who've graduated are starting to have children. And many of them, most of them who've had children, I've reached out to and just we've sort of done these check-ins or we just sort of keep in touch through very particularly through, you know, postpartum depression and how people are feeling. And it's just not something that's talked about. Um, yeah. And it's just really beautiful to share those moments with them. And we just get on FaceTime randomly or just on a phone call and just have a conversation. And it's been a lot of tears and it's been a lot of wonderful exchanges. But again, what you said about just letting people know you're grateful they're in your life. Um, I send those texts probably ad nauseum to some people, um, but it's just so important. It's so important for people to know because I'd, I don't only want to reach out to people when something's up or, yes. you know, and I encourage others to do the same. Like, I don't want to only hear your problems exactly. when things are going great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I really, I agree. I agree. It's a very powerful thing that can happen. Yeah, for sure. Well, as we've talked today, you know, I, I recognize that your work, it, it happens here in the United States, but it's also global. And I know that one of the things that you've been involved with is the Federation of International Pharmacy, FIP. And, you know, I'm grateful in my career that I've um, had the opportunity to attend some FIP meetings and speak. I spoke in Vienna many, several years ago. So right now you're working as a global lead to strengthen and transform systems to provide more gender equity and diversity worldwide. That is a big one. So tell me more about what's going on with your FIP initiatives. Yeah, so, you know, solved. It's done. Yeah, We're exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
yeah, so the the International Pharmaceutical Federation, FIP, it's the sort of like a international body, if you will, of pharmacy organizations. We have regional members and folks all over the world who come together. And we have these workforce development goals that we have launched and we've morphed into one, one of the goals. So development goal number 10, which really deals with equity and equality, multi-pronged from the education practice and research standpoint. It's really thinking through, again, the systems, so not just individuals, but how do we shape and strengthen and transform systems for change that are going to be fundamentally transformative in the ways that they look at the constructs that we've created for anybody to enter into the workforce and be able to perform at their best capability, right? And so it's strengthening those relationships, it's strengthening and championing many, for example, women in science as well. And it's really thinking about a global community sort of coming together aligned with the World Health Organization, WHO, Sustainable Development Goals, and how we can engage a little bit more deeply in conversation within our profession with, you know, ministries of health and governments and other pharmacy bodies worldwide to think about how we set, again, set up the environment so people can succeed. And frankly, what can we do to get out of the way so that pharmacists, student pharmacists, early career folks, seasoned folks, you know, wherever you are, how do we remove obstacles out of the way so that you can perform at your best and serve your patients in that capacity. It's a big undertaking. Um, we've launched an equity collection with stories about different experiences from harassment to discrimination to really thinking about how to empower systems for better equity in terms of working together towards a more equitable future and thinking through ways in which we can do that again on a systems level when it comes to policies and you know expectations etc that are written down and again removing obstacles so that people can perform at their best wow 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 i'm so jazzed just learning more about that and you know it's a common thread in our discussion today about the power of story you know, and that's yeah. something that I really find on this podcast is that when people tell their story, it helps us to widen the path um, for people to either see possibilities or to realize they're not alone. And I also really think it's important that, as you described, it's a systems approach, you know, to removing barriers or to look at what's there. And so I, I really look forward to seeing more about this. And I, I know APHA President Sandra Leal is, is involved um, too. And there's just a, some really cool stuff. So that that is really, really neat. Well, you know, our time together is drawing to a close. And I think you and I could keep chatting for a while because there is so much to talk about. But um, at the end of these discussions, I typically ask the question, you know, while I have you, is there one prescription or life lesson you'd like to share with others or comment on in the spirit of Melissa Rx scripts? Yeah, um, I think for me, it, it might sound simple, but it's really challenging to be good to yourself and allow yourself some grace. I think that we have, we all have lots of things that we grapple with on a daily basis, personally, professionally. And, you know, I think those two are quite related. I don't think they're completely separate. I've also just realized that, you know, uh, to quote Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. And I think that we have to all remember that we do have power, but that power and that compassion that we love to extend to others, we also have to extend to ourselves. So I would say, be good to yourself and allow yourself the grace. We're all fallible and it's 
perfectly imperfect. That's just how it is. And it's beautiful. We're a beautiful mess. And so that's okay. Wow. Well, that reflection prescription was beautiful. And I'm so grateful, you know, that you shared it. And I think it'll help so many others to hear it and reflect on and think, you know, what does that mean in my life? So I'm just grateful, V, that we were able to spend some time together this afternoon, and I appreciate you sharing your insights with me. This is the Melissa Rx Scripts podcast. I want to thank our listeners and encourage you to follow on social media. I want to say a special thank you to Kate Cruz with Executive Podcast Solutions, who helps make the magic happen on the podcast. And thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for having me.